Welcome to Wine Unearthed. This podcast takes you behind the scenes of the Margaret River winemaking region in Western Australia. The very place named Best in Asia Pacific by travel authority Lonely Planet. It's produced for you by your Margaret River region and the Margaret River Wine Association. My name's Fleur Banger. I'm a food and travel journalist, and I'll be taking you through this gorgeous spot, tasting the wine, meeting the people, and breathing in the surrounds. Here we are at local pub, Settlers Tavern. If I asked you to name the first five wineries to start up in Margaret River, what would you say? <laughs> um, so, Vas Felix, um, Cullen's... Oh, now I'm stuck already. I'd say Vas Felix, Mosswood, probably Cullen, uh, Lewin and Cape Mattel. Vas Felix, Cape Mattel, Redgate... Oh, wait on. Well, Cullen's was pretty early... Uh, Lewin Estate, Brass Felix. They're the main ones, really, aren't they? I, I would say the Cullen started the wine industry in Margaret River. You know, they took a huge, huge risk, and there's been several other players. I think Xanadu, Lewin, Voyager, we're talking big names here. Um, Cullen's, Redgate, Lewin Estate. Uh, Xanadu, Cape Mentel. Is that five? There's a fair bit of conjecture over the handful of wineries that started up winemaking in Margaret River, but what really matters is that it began at all. Half a century ago, Margaret River was a place of cattle and potato farming, dairies and timber milling. But in the late 1960s, a curious and highly regarded cardiologist called Tom Cullity planted grapevines on his vast Felix property, giving birth to the Margaret River wine region we know today. But things didn't always go to plan. My father was not an overtly emotional man, and so this was quite a scene. And I think Dad thought, what have I done? More on that in a moment. Wine writer Peter Forrestal is somewhat of an authority on who did what and when, having detailed it all in the historical book The Way It Was. Let's provide some relief to all those who want to put Margaret River's founding wineries into their quiz night questions, Forry. Who were the founding few? Crikey. <laughs> Vas Felix, of course, established in 1967. Uh, then Mosswood, Cape Mantell, Cullen, Sandalford, Woodlands and Lewin Estate. So some pretty impressive names. How many of those were started by people in the medical profession? Certainly the common mythology is that there were lots of doctors involved in the early days. That's, that's true to a certain extent. Uh, Vas Felix, Cullen, Mosswood were all established by doctors, but Tom Cullity was never poorer than when he started Vas Felix. Don't ever think it was because they had pots of dough. Did the doctors know each other? Well, Certainly Kevin Cullen and Tom Cullity were friends and uh, when Tom got interested in establishing a vineyard, he talked firstly to Kevin Cullen and they collaborated, they tossed ideas around and they worked together for quite some time. So Tom was a, a specialist cardiologist living in Perth, hadn't been 
further south than Bunbury. Kevin, on the other hand, was the local GP, much loved and known to everyone, and he was an important local identity. Tom felt all at sea as far as that sort of uh, connection was concerned. And when he actually came to try and buy the land that became Vas Felix, the farmer just wouldn't sell. Fortunately, the Cullens had a 2,000-acre farm, which was uh, alongside the Osborne property. The farmer, Osborne, was working for Kevin Cullen at the time and Kevin organised the deal. Tom made the point very clearly that without Kevin's intervention, he wouldn't have been able to buy Vas Felix and, you know, he wasn't sure that he would have kept on without that support from uh, Kevin Cullen. Did you know that Tom Cullody was Ducks of Aquinas College in 1941? Well, it doesn't surprise me. He was an extraordinarily uh, bright person. I, uh, I interviewed him once. Uh, you know, his intelligence was palpable. <laughs> I, I thought he was brilliant, no question about it. And eccentric? Yeah, I mean, plenty of people thought he was grumpy and uh, and that. I, I sort of didn't probably see enough of him to, you know, think of him as eccentric. But if you look at um, what we wrote about him in uh, the way it was, uh, then, you know, you'd know he was, yeah, he was eccentric, but, you know, inspired and hardworking and persistent. Let's look at the intriguing character of Tom Cullity with the people who know him best. Veronica Cullity was a small child when her father got the winemaking bug. He started out with a tiny plot of 2.6 hectares and put all the family to work clearing the land and getting rid of the stones. Our very important job was counterweights on the borrowed tractor. And so Dad would collect the bundis on the back and eventually the front of the tractor would rear up So as that would happen, he would just add a child to the front of the tractor. My eldest sister, Jude, planted the first vine. She came with Dad and Dad's great mentor, the great Jack Mann from Hortons, and they planted the vine very ceremoniously. And then Jude was told she had to wander off and turn her back. And I believe that the vine was christened by Jack Mann in the only way that men tend to christen plants. (laughs) I'm getting a picture. (laughs) You're getting a picture. In those pioneering times, everyone in the family was used in all sorts of ways. We were the bottlers. We were the corkers. We were the labellers. We were the bottle washers. To bottle, we had to literally siphon the wine out of the tanks. And at that stage, I was 11 and my younger sister would have been about six or seven. Mm -hmm. And when the siphon used to break, the youngest, Diddy, Deirdre, would get the siphon started again. And after day one or two, when she couldn't be woken and she slept for 24 hours, I think Dad decided that was not a good idea. And the family dog, of course, got very drunk and literally fell over. It was a disaster. (laughs) That wasn't where the drinking ended, though. As a young child, we would taste wine. We were Dad's virgin palates, literally. 
you know, darlings, can you taste grass? You know, can you taste capsicum? Can you taste strawberries in this? So we would taste wine. But I don't think a lot of people drank wine in those days. Your dad was terribly sharp. He was Ducks of Aquinas College in 1941. He topped his year in English, Latin, French, Mathematics B and Chemistry. And his school described him as a force to be reckoned with. Why do you think they might have described him in that way? Ooh, he was a definite personality. He was intimidatingly bright. He had very definite ideas. Uh, There was no grey with my father. It was black or it was white. And also he was the sort of personality that you needed to start something like this, the sort of single-minded person who would do something crazy that nobody else had done. But he was not the sort of personality to then continue it sort of vintage after vintage. And also, Dad could be less amenable than Basil Fawlty. So when it came to, you know, wine dinners or um, visiting distributors or wine stores, ooh, that was just not my father. Veronica remembers the accommodation in the early days of the 1960s was not really suited to family visits. Her mother, understandably, didn't come very often. Well, in the very beginning, it was the back of the car on a neighbour's property. Then it was a caravan. And then it was a room in the corner of the shed, which was tiny. And it had a sink. In the beginning, there wasn't a toilet. It was incredibly basic. And the room was big enough for three Hessian stretches and sleeping bags. And that was it. Mum, I think, was very supportive. You would have to have met my father, frighteningly clever, incredibly single-minded, and if he decided on a course, you just didn't get in his way. I have very clear memories, I think, after the first vintage, which was a disaster because the local birds decimated the first crop, I remember coming home from school or something and there was Dad lying on the sofa with his head on my mother's lap. My father was not an overtly emotional man and so this was quite a scene and I think Dad thought, what have I done? I have spent, I'm assuming, an enormous amount of money and energy and time on something and it looked like it was going to be a disaster. And luckily the year after was completely different, wasn't it? Completely different in that there was a vintage, there was salvageable wine which um, was entered into the Royal Show and did extraordinarily well And that was essentially Margaret River had arrived. And there was a big party, wasn't there? There was a huge party. Dad just filled the scoop of the tractor with ice and filled it with wine. Many of the people there were used to drinking beer and not wine. I have memories of legs sticking out of car windows of wives coming to try and find their husbands the next morning as they had spent the night between the vines. But it was one hell of a party. (laughs) 
the local farmers, they must have thought an Italian car driving cardiologist from Perth who wore a beret and smoked a pipe. What must they have thought? What must they have thought? And I know even to this day, some of the locals, they still referred to vines as weeds. They would have thought he was quite crazy, which probably he was. Crazy or not, Tom Cullity goes down in the history books for giving life to the Margaret River wine industry. Years on, after he'd sold Vas Felix and retired from cardiology, how did he feel about his achievement? He was not one for overt shows of emotion, but I think he was very proud of his role in the wine industry and he remained passionate about wine. One story I told at the 50 years of Vas Felix, uh, Dad died about a decade ago now. And in the book, they mention uh, my father was a cardiologist. And as he was establishing Vas Felix in the early days, it was enormously hard work, which we wasn't used to. And he diagnosed himself with heart disease. I think he occasionally went into fibrillations. And so he predicted death for himself in his 60s. Dad died about a decade ago. He was in his 80s. He had walked down to the cellar to get his wine for dinner and he'd walked back up the back stairs and opened a bottle and poured a glass and then had a massive heart attack. I like to think that it was a glass of good Margaret River Cabernet. What a way to go. David and Anne Gregg worked at Vas Felix for 20 years, running the vineyard and making the wine while the cardiologist worked in Perth during the week. It was the 1970s and things were very different. Sitting beside the wide wood planks they erected and the stonework that they helped lay, I asked the couple how basic life was back then. Very. <laughs> we had moved in on the sort of day before vintage and uh, at that stage, I was 38 weeks pregnant and we had a two-year-old. So it was a pretty hectic weekend and David started vintage the following day. And I think you worked about 90 hours that week. Yeah. So, you know, it was full on. It was basic. Every cent from Tom's point of view was going into the vineyard and nothing else really mattered. Every case of wine had to be transported by rail. So we used to have to take the cases that were going to be sent to anybody up to Bustleton and unload it yourself and load it on the train. There was no restaurants, there was nothing really. Very, very different from what it is today. <laughs> David, do you remember why you said yes to the job? Blame the 1972 Vas Felix Riesling. Absolutely stunning wine. I thought, I've got to be part of this. What was Tom like? What were your first impressions of Tom? Uh, I was impressed. He was very perceptive. I wouldn't use the word arrogant, but he um, knew his place in society. You're yeah, quite elitist. But uh, I was impressed with um, uh, what he had to say and his ambitions as far as wine was concerned. I mean, you know, it was really putting a lot of effort into coming down here every weekend because he had a young family as well and he was working full-time. The industry wouldn't be as it is today without him. What made him so determined? Why was he so driven? 
oh, that was his personality. I mean, he was driven in lots of other ways. When he retired from the hospital and also more or less pulled the pin on Vas Felix, he did a, a degree in French at the university. Just for fun. So flu- fluent French. You don't often get the two together, the real academic and the creative person. Looking back, you guys were so integral in the very first winery to anchor the entire Margaret River region. How do you feel looking back at the contribution that you both made? Well, it's, it's a nice feeling because it would have started anyway, but we were very involved in the early days. Mm. Look at Vas Felix today from a tin shed. We're going to hear more about Tom in just a minute, but before we do, we're drinking this lovely Voyager Estate Chardonnay. Where does Voyager fit in? Well, Voyager was established um, by Peter and Jenny Girardi as Freycinet in 1978. So they were pretty early in the pecking order and it was bought in 1991 by Michael Wright, who was a mining magnate. He was a teetotaler and that surprised a lot of people, but he was interested in growing grapes and, you know, the whole business of running a winery. What do you think of this one? Yeah, it's... um, This is 2016. It's still really young and, and really quite tight. So there's some really subtle melony, um, almost lemony sort of characters. It's almost like clarified butter. (laughs) (laughs) So what of the name Vas Felix? Cardiologist Peter Thompson, who bought the property next door and turned it into Thompson Estate, was also a former medical student under Tom Cullity. He says Vas Felix was drawn from Tom's passion for French culture. He was studying and translating the, the French voyages around the West Australian coast. The, the story was that there was a, um, a French exploration, uh, the, the Bodan Expedition, which uh, founded off the coast of Dunsborough near Ingegrap Bay. And one of the midshipmen was told to um, launch the lifeboat and row to get the ship off the sandbank. But regrettably, he, uh, he perished. The captain of the ship, uh, Bodan, wrote in his log, Oh, in Felix Vass, poor unhappy Vass, sad ending. Felix is Latin for happy or contented, and in, in Felix is sad, discontented. The story was that perhaps midshipman Vass had actually managed to get himself to shore. The rumour expanded that subsequently there was a tribe of um, white-skinned Aboriginals in the region who were said to be fathered by midshipman Vass, but... Tom twisted that around and say, Mr. Vass did arrive safely, so it was actually Felix Vass. Mr. Vass was actually very happy doing what he was doing. And it sounded like Tom was too, was he, out in the vineyard? He, he loved the whole thing and he, um, once, he, once he got onto the topic of the vineyard and wine, he was absolutely captivating. How did Tom see himself when he was out there toiling, I suppose, with the vineyard? And what did people call him or what did he call himself? Well, he called himself a useless bastard who was doing this and he called himself the Mad Mick Doctor. He was certainly um, determined to make it uh, all happen against all odds. He, he stood a lot of criticism, but he was right in the end, as, as usual. 
I heard something about how people thought there was a nudist colony going on out there. Yeah, that was the other story, that it was said to be a wife-swapping club or a nudist colony. He just took that in his stride, you know. One of the Tom Cullity antics that's gone down in local folklore is his use of a falcon to scare away birds on the vineyard. The bird is immortalised in the Vas Felix wine label. The original design was done by an art student who was paid $22 and a case of wine for her efforts. It's still being used now, more than 50 years later. Here's how it came to be. So Tom, being a Francophile, decided he would do it in the French way. But uh, to do it as he did everything properly, he decided to import a falcon from France. He went through three months of quarantine and eventually, uh, in full Tom Cullity style, he set himself up with a falcon ears wristband and the falcon had a black hood over it. So he took him down to Vas Felix and um, held the falcon on his forearm, took the hood off and let the bird go and attack the silver eyes. The bird took off, headed north towards France and was never seen again. Never, ever. (laughs) Never, ever. Disappeared to France. (laughs) My memory of the falcons, um, after that first vintage, the silver-eye birds were a real problem and they remained a problem and they still are a bit of a problem. But now that there are more grapes in Margaret River, they don't all land on Vas Felix. So one of my father's ideas was to get these birds to attack the silver eyes. And there were two birds, one was male, one was female. And in my memory, one was Cleopatra and one was Alexander. And when they released said hawks on the vineyard, the two flew off together, never to be seen again. Tom Cullity played such an important part in Margaret River's history that when his former winery, Vas Felix, celebrated its 50th year, the Tom Cullity Heritage Wine was launched by its current owner, Paul Holmes Accord. Winemaker Virginia Wilcock, who's been with Vas Felix since 2006, says the special legacy wine was thought up just after she arrived. But before it could be created, they had to kill off their icon wine, the Hatesbury. I started talking about the old blocks of Cabernet and Malbec and how different they were to the other components that we might put in Hatesbury. They were elegant and fine, sophisticated, kind of plump, but a fine tannin structure. They were kind of beautiful. They're unique. If we were going to pull something out, that would be the Tom. And Paul kept thinking about it. And then one day in 2012... Paul came out and said, I know what we have to do. I think I have to give up the Hatesbury and make way for Tom. And I think that's really strong because Paul's family, the Holmes Court family, has Hatesbury as part of their family history. The first Lord Hatesbury was an accord. So it's a very long family history. So it's giving up a little bit of family history to say, Tom, you're more important. And to me, that's a really emotional and beautiful thing that an owner can do and give up a bit of their own family for something that's more important to them as a custodianship. We started finding the right components that was, you know, old vines, and we decided that it wasn't just going to be a Cabernet or or the name, it was actually going to be a Cabernet Malbec because they were the best performing vines. And that is exactly what Tom planted here, Cabernet and Malbec. Is it Tom Cullity in a bottle? Oh, man, I phew, I reckon this might be a bit softer than Tom Cullity. 
Look, I, look, Tom, when I met him, was a much older gentleman, but Tom was a pretty fiery old doctor, I believe. And look, to be honest, the first time I met him, I was standing next to Dr John Gladstone's at our 40th birthday party. So that was in 2007. Invited Tom, John Gladstone's standing there. I've met John before. John and I were talking and Tom Cullody walks in the room and he says, I've got a bone to pick with you, Gladstone's. And I was just like, oh, it's the beginning. It was amazing. Like John Gladstone's who wrote the first paper about Margaret River being like Bordeaux Super and Tom who'd read his paper and planted the vines, I don't even remember knowing what the bone was that Tom had to pick with him, but it was joyful fun and I treasured that moment as being part of a sort of the middle ground of Margaret River. There was Tom and John and, you know, the guys from Mosswood, Lou and Kate Mantell, the Honans, Horgans, Cullens, Panels. They were all amazing people. But these two guys, they were particularly special to my heart because I got a job at Vast Felix and that was everything to me. So it's the moment. Let's try the Tom Cullody and talk me through what we're meant to smell and taste and all those beautiful bits of the wine experience. Look, I think Tom Cullody is something rare and beautiful. It's a, um, I, it's something that takes me to this single, this place and it doesn't matter where I am in the world. It's a really interesting thing. I find um, the elegance and finesse, it's purely Cabernet and I think it's Cabernet in its classical form. It's not Cabernet the way Cabernet has become in a big form from, you know, Napa or Bordeaux or whatever. This is Cabernet the way it used to be made in the 70s and 80s, classical, beautiful Cabernet that lasts a lifetime in the bottle. It's phenomenal. And one of the beautiful features is a gorgeous restraint, but there's an earth-driven feel about it. It's not a fruit bomb. This is about a, a wine that's evocative. You just keep looking and talking and chatting to it and you find more and more as you go through it. So for me, I think it's a weird thing because I don't actually think you can smell these things in this wine, but I actually believe that it's the the sensation of where you are here in Margaret River that brings these characteristics to the wine and the vine. Somehow when I smell this wine, and I've only ever smelt this when I've taken this wine to the US and I've sat in the middle of the Napa and... Somebody gave it to me blind and I was completely transcended home. All right, well, let's try it. Mm. There's one amazing thing about this wine that blows me away every time and people think about Cabernet as being a big, heavy beast. This wine is not without power. But it does have, it does have an inviting succulence about it. And the tannins don't hurt. There's lots of them, but they don't hurt. But full of perfume. So beautifully full of perfume, but not in a lolly form. It's more of a earth-driven form. We're sitting here right now in the vault where all the older vintage wines are and the archive wines. And if you look out the series of windows, you can see the grapevines in the distance. They're all the beautiful autumnal colours at the moment and some of the 
uh, Vas Felix artwork in the beautiful, gorgeous, green, grassy surrounds. When you're out there, you know, walking through the vines, how often do you think of Tom Cullody and what it might have been like 50-odd years ago? Yeah, I do a lot, actually, and it's, it's a funny thing, Mick, because I'm quite emotional and connected to the wines. My husband would say I'm not an emotional person at all. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to this connection to the land and the history and the place, I can tell you right now we took, for the first time, we wanted to take um, one of our special guests from China up to the middle of the vines and I said, look, it's a beautiful day. Why don't we take the bottle of Tom Cullody up and taste it in the middle of these vines and just just feel what it's like to taste it up here. I'd never done it before. And as I was actually tasting it and looking at the vines, these beautiful gnarly old trunks and they're so healthy and alive, they feel so vibrant. (laughs) I'm looking at these old guys and I'm smelling this wine going, this is possibly the best wine I've ever made. And I looked up and I just went, here's to Tom. And I got a massive lump in my throat and my eyes started welling up. And I went, oh, (laughs) I'm having a bit of an emotional moment. It was really, it was a a bit weird. I think that connection that I have with the land, what Tom did, what the Homes of Courts are doing, the wines that I taste because, to me, it's everything to be able to create something so beautiful from the land It's a gift to have all the things that I've been given so that I can actually just babysit these little guys and I feel privileged. How beautiful. You look like you're welling up now. I I feel like it, yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. Every time I taste this wine, it's such a privilege to be able to make a wine like this. There's not many wines in the world that taste you to an emotional standpoint. You can drink a lot of wines. Oh, it's impressive. It's got this, it's got that, and you're a very analytical world. But when wines actually take you to a place and send you somewhere, it's a transcendental moment where you should be. And look, it might not even be that place. It might have been the date you had. And that brings you to tears because you can smell it again and you're feeling it again. And I think that's the legacy that we've, we've been gifted with. Let's drink from every cup All our ageing wine We'll watch the roots run through The story of our time We'll get out and prune our love With all the greatest care We'll put in laboured hours Just to get us there You're listening to local musician Jorlaine Prideau and her song Drink From Every Cup by the Cullen Wine Song Soundtrack. We'll need sunshine We'll need rain We'll live through the storms and we'll withstand the hotter days. Additional music by Josh Hogan, Ned Beckley and The Newtowns. This podcast is supported by the International Wine Tourism Grant, funded by Wine Australia, Margaret River Wine Association, Margaret River Bustleton Tourism Association, Southwest Development Commission and Australia's Southwest. It's been scripted, recorded and presented by me, Fleur Banger from White Noise Media, sound designed by Tom Allen from Barking Wolf and produced by Sophie Mathewson. We acknowledge the Wadandi saltwater and forest people as the traditional owners of this region and remind you to walk softly on country. For inspiration planning your trip to this beautiful part of the world, visit margaretriver.com. You and I, we'll need sunshine, we'll need rain.
Bye-bye.